this section is called Living Sacrifices. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve that God's will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And this section's about love. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Brilliant, Paul. Let's welcome you up. I'd love to pray for you. I'm just going to grab some water, I think. Here we go. Well, good evening. Hello. It's good to be here. And uh, it's great to have fellowship with you guys. Uh, just as you pray for us, we pray for you uh, most weeks. Pray for the ministry here. It's been great to see the way in which it's taken off under Tim's leadership. And uh, we rejoice in that. And, and you do know, Tim, we had a staff meeting a couple of days ago. Um, I, I told the guy we kind of go through our program, and I told them I was here tonight, and they said, oh, that's great. Uh, we must put Tim in the program. So there you go. That's the Pridquo Pro. Um, it won't take you long to work out that, uh, although I'm here in Bath, I've been in Bath for three years. Before that, I was in four different churches in different capacities, um, so I've been in pastoral ministry for 35 years altogether. But it won't take you long to work out that I'm actually not from this part of the country. You recognise my accent? No. No, okay, well that's good, that's good, that's good. I, I, I come from the beautiful city of Birmingham. Do we have any... Br- no, up north. The Midlands, okay? 
So I, I kind of travel, I travel all over the place, or I have travelled all over the place, and most places, you know, the Birmingham accent goes down okay, uh, except uh, a few years ago I was preaching in a very, very posh Anglican church in London. Okay, so when I'd finished, I go to the door and this guy comes to me and he said, uh, I, I, that accent, that ac- what, 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 what is it? I said, I, I'm from Birmingham. He said, oh... He said, it took me about 10 minutes to understand what you were saying and then, then that was all right. I said, well, can I, can I just tell you, if you think my accent is difficult, you've never, ever been to Dudley. Because if you ever go to Dudley, you'll find it's completely different. I was standing behind a, two girls in a queue in, in WH Smith in Dudley a few years ago and they were kind of chatting about some boy who'd just come to their, their school and one said to them, oh, he's lovely, he's really nice, he's so nice. And a friend said, oh, he's wonderful, isn't he? He's Boston, but he's a bit posh, don't you think? Oh, yes, a friend said, he's really posh. He's got such a posh accent. He sounds just like somebody from Wolverhampton. <laughs> so, so, it is all relative. Uh, I, I, I tell this story, so by now you're used to my accent. Is that right? Good, good. Um, Romans 12 is a magnificent chapter, and it's a chapter that comes... Um, at the end, really, or towards the end of a magnificent letter. Up until this point, the first 11 chapters, Paul has been taking us down the way of salvation. And you'll notice, if you know the book, and if you have a Bible, you can look up this later, uh, he uses the word therefore four times leading up to chapter 12 and verse 1. The first therefore is in chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by doing good things, no one can make themselves right with God. The first therefore, you might describe as the therefore of condemnation. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. No matter how religious we are, no matter how hard we try, we cannot save ourselves. The first three chapters of Romans are pretty depressing because that's the picture they give. But then he begins to talk about the gospel. What a wonderful gospel it is. Jesus died for us on the cross. He was raised for our justification. We are justified, which means, you know the old word justified, just as if I'd never sinned, but that's only half of it. It's not just that our sins are removed. We are made right with God completely and utterly and totally righteous in his presence. So God looks at us and he sees us in Christ and he sees no sin at all. Isn't it wonderful to know that you're completely forgiven? Isn't that great? Isn't that encouraging? It'd be good to be slightly more sort of enthusiastic. I'm told that you are an enthusiastic congregation. So isn't it wonderful to be, to be clean in the eyes of God? Fantastic. And so you then get, you then, not clapping, no, 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 not clapping. <laughs> You then get, you then get at the beginning of chapter 5, the second therefore. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, we have peace, and that's a one-way street. You will never get to the point where you don't have peace with God. You may stray, but he'll bring you back. We sang about it earlier. He's a good, good father, and he will always love you, and he will never let you go. And so the second therefore is the therefore of justification. And then you go on to chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 1 begins with the third therefore. Therefore, probably the most wonderful statement in the whole chapter, uh, in the whole book rather, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
That's the therefore of complete assurance. It begins with no condemnation, it ends with no separation. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God doesn't operate at the level of giving us a chance and if we fail, that's it, and we've blown it. No, no, God will never, ever, ever let you go. Good news. Fantastic. And so you come to the end of chapter 11 where he deals with, a, with another issue and suddenly you have what you can only describe as an explosion of praise. If you've got a Bible there, just look at the end of chapter 11. Chapter 11, theology becomes doxology. All the depth, this is verse 33, all the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths fast training had. Who can know the mind of the Lord? You know, this is just mind-blowing. This is just tremendous. This is stupendous. What a gospel. And then you get the fourth, therefore. Look at chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Can you see what he's saying there? God has done all these things. And in fact, although there are a couple of commands in the first 11 chapters, the emphasis is on this is what God has done. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. It's not you. It's not your good deeds. This is what God has done. Therefore, now in the light of all that God has done, this is how you're to live. And if he hasn't given many instructions up until this point, well, he makes up for it in chapter uh, 12, doesn't he? Over and over and over again, command after command after command. My wife and I were, were ministering in a, in, a, in a small church and we had a lady come to us um, who wanted to find out about Christ. So she came to, to, to our home. We met her three times. On the third occasion, third time she visited our home, um, she said, I, I think I understand now. I want to be saved tonight. What I normally do with folk like that is say, well, we can pray together, but why don't you go away and think about it and pray it? You know, she said, no, I want to pray now. I want to come to Christ now. I want to be saved now. And so we prayed together, and the moment we finished praying, she looked up and said, now what do I do next? Which is always a good sign, isn't it? So I said, go and tell somebody. So she went home, she got on the phone, she pulled out her, her, her directory, and she phoned absolutely everybody in the directory. Everybody. Every single person. You know, friends, people she knew, people at church, you know, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. For three hours she was on the phone. At the end of three hours she said, I'm quite hungry. So she thought, I know, I'm going to have some fish and chips. She went to the fish and chips shop. She's standing there and she suddenly thinks, this bloke serving me fish and chips, he, he, he doesn't know the gospel. I, I ought to tell him as well. She said, can I tell you something? He said, what's that? I've been saved. It's wonderful. My name is written in heaven. He said, oh, okay. I better give you an extra piece of fish then. And he did. It only works once. Okay? You can only try it once. What's the point? The point is this. We need to be absolutely blown out of our minds, knocked out of our socks by the glory of the gospel. Okay? But if we have been and we can't keep it inside, it has to show in a transformed life. If our lives are not different, then we haven't got it. If our lives are inconsistent with what we believe, then we haven't got it in the first place. If you've understood the greatness of the gospel, if you've understood what God has done in order to save you, then Romans chapter 12 will follow naturally. And you look at this long list and you say, wow, that's a long list. You know, is this all about you know, 
good deeds and, and legalism and being a good person. No, no, no. This is my heart rejoicing and flowing out to God in love and joy and service because of what he's done for me. Okay? You see that? That exciting? Okay, so let's look at the passage. That was all the introduction, by the way. Um, what t- is that clock right? It's not, is it? Five o'clock? No. Six o'clock. So I'm got an hour and a half. No, no okay. All right. You finish about half past, is that right? Or about 25 past, or about 20 past, something like that. Okay. Look at the passage then, and what I want you to notice is that the passage really deals with three things. It's kind of a ripple effect. He talks about, first of all, our relationship with God. That's verses 1 and 2. And then he talks about our relationship with one another. That's in verse 3 down to verse 16, how we operate as church into relationships. So the first relationship is, is vertical. Second relationship, 3 to 16, is, is horizontal. And then in verses 17 to 21, he talks about how we relate to the world particularly when the world is against us, when the world hates us because we love God, when the world tries to persecute us. So you get the ripple effect. First of all, God, then one another, then the world. And can I just say, that's the way it has to go. You can't have a right relationship within the church until, first of all, you've got a right relationship with God. (coughs) You can't serve God in the world unless you're operating properly within the church. So right with God first, then right with one another, and then out into the world. So first of all, the relationship with God. Look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Pause there for a moment. It's it's what I was saying in the first part in the introduction. Everything I've said so far, God's mercy, God loving you so much, God sending his own son to be nailed to a plank of wood and lifted up, sending his own son to be crucified, in view of that, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now what is worship? Think about it for a moment. Did we have worship this evening? When we were singing, was that worship? Yeah, of course it was. And do you worship God when you pray? Yeah. And do we worship God, you know, when we gather together and, 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 and talk with one another? Yeah. But what Paul is saying is that worship is not just those things. The things we associate with the word worship. Worship isn't just singing God's praises. Worship is, is 24-7 me offering everything that I am, absolutely everything, to God. And he uses a very graphic image. If you're a Jew in the Old Testament and you wanted to make a sacrifice to God, and it was a, 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 a free will, thanksgiving offering. In other words, God had done some wonderful thing for you, and you wanted to give an offering back to God, not because you had to, but because you wanted to. It's not a sacrifice for sin, it's a sacrifice to simply say, my heart overflows with joy, I just want to say to God, I love you, you would bring an animal to the priest. And you take a little lamb. We drove back through the Cotswolds for hours and hours and hours this afternoon. And, 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 and constantly my wife said, oh, look at those lovely little lambs over there. I said, I don't want to look at the lambs, I want to get back home. But never mind, I'm, I'm not normally that bad. But, you know, these tiny little lambs, you take a perfect lamb and you take it to the priest, and what does the priest do? He takes the lamb, he puts it on the altar, he prays, and then he sacrifices the lamb. And then, if it's a whole burnt offering... It's completely consumed. 
whole lamb is burnt and it all goes up in smoke and you think, well, what a waste. No, because it's an offering to God. And that's the graphic picture he uses here. Present your body, which isn't just your physical body, it means all that you are, every last bit of you, present your body as a living sacrifice to God. In other words, I don't want you just to kind of hold back this or hold back that. I want you to give me everything. For some people in the world today, that will literally mean that they will die for their faith. At this present moment in time, there are something like, I think it's about um, 24 countries where there is severe persecution of the church. There are 250 million, 250 million Christians suffering for their faith today. The, the top of the, the world watch list is North Korea. They have two concentration camps in North Korea which are confined to Christians. I don't know, and I can't say with certainty, but I'm fairly certain that today, somewhere in the world, a significant number of people will have laid down their lives for the gospel. They will have died, they will have become sacrifices because they refuse to give in to others and they will refuse to be unloyal to Jesus. Now, that's not what we face at the moment. Could be one day, I don't know. Things change very quickly. That's not what God is asking of you today. Tell you what God is asking of you today is to give you not your, 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 your death as it were, but your whole life. If Jesus gave everything, which he did, if Jesus was a whole burnt offering on the cross, which he was, if Jesus did that for you while you are a sinner and he redeemed you and he purchased you with a price which was infinite, what does that mean? Now you present your body as a living sacrifice. You don't belong to yourself anymore. Your time, your hours, your, your, your energies, your gifts, your abilities, your plans, your purposes, everything, everything now belongs to God if you're a Christian. And that's not a harsh thing because Jesus gave everything for you. General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, expressed it like this. Someone asked him, General, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? And the general took a piece of chalk and he drew a circle on the ground and then he stood inside the circle and he said, to be a Christian means that everything inside the circle, everything inside the circle belongs to God. Everything in the circle. Some people operate on the uh, 90-10 principle. Do you know what I mean by that? You know, when it comes to giving, I tithe, 10% goes to God, 90% is mine. Can I tell you that's not what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches 100% belongs to God. It's not that he gets the 10%. 100%. And if you, know, you, you, take, you take what you need, God isn't mean. You know, you're allowed to go out for the occasional meal and you know, to the cinema as long as it's a good film and, you know, you're allowed to have a holiday. God isn't mean. He's a generous God. He loves to give us good gifts. But in the end, my money belongs to God. My energy belongs to God. My time belongs to God. I'm a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Notice the way in which he goes on. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, to sing his praises on a Sunday... And then to go out and to put him second in our lives, well, the Bible calls that hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. Yeah, can I say to you as I'm preaching tonight, I can hear all these things bouncing back onto my heart because I battle with that every day, don't you? It's easy to sing God's praises when you're with God's people. When you go into the world, you've got to live for Jesus. It's not easy. And yet he says, that's the consistent thing. 
Now remember in the Old Testament, Isaiah 1, for example, God says you offer all these wonderful sacrifices. Do you know what? They make me sick because you don't love one another. You don't care for the weak and the needy. You, you, you don't care for those who are in need. None of those things. So there has to be consistency. Look how he goes on, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't be like the world, be different. If you're a Christian and you belong to God and you love the Lord, you have to hate sin. Let me say that again. You have to hate sin. Do not be conformed to this world. You can't flirt with sin. You know, I, 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 I'm going to say something now which is slightly controversial. Okay, am I allowed to do that? Well, at the end I leave and you don't see me again. So that's, that's, that's you know, you can get away with it when you're a visiting preacher. I, I, I talk to lots of young men in particular who are battling with sin. We all battle with sin. That's part and parcel of being a Christian. And who particularly battle with sexual sin. And if you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice and you're not being conformed to this world, what does that mean? Then you want the Lord to help you to overcome sexual sin. We live in a world today where sexual temptation is greater, I think, than it has ever been, at least the opportunity to, to plug into stuff. And the number of younger men that I counsel and I act as a kind of accountability to on this whole area of internet pornography is huge. It's huge. I was preaching at a large conference a few years ago, about 3,500 people in the audience, and I mentioned this particular thing. I wasn't preaching, I just mentioned it. And when I'd finished, this lady came down the, down the aisle like an exocet missile. She came straight at me. I thought, oh, golly, I'm, I'm finished here. And she stood right in my face and she said, how dare you mention that? How dare you? Don't you realise this is a Christian conference? Not a single man here would be struggling with that temptation? Well, I didn't want to say anything because, you know... She, she was a frightening lady, but you know, in the end, in the end, that is a battle. That is a battle, and maybe it's something that you, I mean, young men and young women, maybe it's something you battle against and you need to talk to the pastor or to the pastoral team here and say, look, I don't want to be conformed to this world. Instead, I want to be transformed. And it's a wonderful Greek word. It's the word metamorphosis. Do you remember your biology, GCSE biology? You know, you get a, you get a, 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 a it's not a grub, is it? It's a kind of a, a caterpillar and, you, and it gets in its little, that's it, chrysalis, and then out comes this wonderful, beautiful butterfly. You know, it's, it's an amazing transformation. And that's what God does by the power of his spirit through the influence of his word in our life. He wants you to be like Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. Not legalistic, not a whole list of rules and regulations, you know, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. You know, a whole, a whole heart which is passionate for Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't legalistic, but he loved God with all his heart and soul and strength and mind. And people looked at him and they said, this man is different. And they were drawn to him. And to be metamorphosized means to be like Jesus. In fact, the whole purpose of the gospel is to make you like Jesus. We will never win the world for Christ if we don't look like Christ. That's God's desire, God's power. And that's why God gives you the Holy Spirit. What's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Well, all sorts of ministries, but the agenda of the Holy Spirit is to come into your heart and into your life and to make you to be like Jesus. That's his ministry. So that the beauty of Jesus can be seen in me. We need to make Jesus visible and desirable in a lost world. Look at how he goes on, verse 2. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his good 
pleasing and perfect will. If you're doing those things, what you will discover is that God's will is, is wonderful. God's will is marvellous. You know, sometimes when we, 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 we think about what it means to give myself completely to God, to trust God completely, we get frightened because we think, well, what if, what if God asks me to do something that's too difficult? We've got the wrong idea of God. We have this idea of God that he's really mean and he's always looking for us to make mistakes and the moment we make mistakes, zap, he gets us. And if there are two options, you know, God's in your life and God is talking to you about something and you can go for that way or that way, that way is delightful and wonderful and that way is difficult and hard, well, God's bound to send me down the difficult and hard way because that's the kind of God he is. Yeah, that's how we think about God. Not how the Bible speaks about God. God delights to bless his people. The will of God for you is good. It may be painful sometimes, it may be difficult. It may not be what you would choose for yourself, but you submit to God's will and suddenly you find that the Lord is just wonderful. Now, if you, if you doubt it, read Psalm 103 when you get home. Just look at Psalm 103. It's a wonderful um, series of descriptions of God's grace and God's mercy. There's a particular bit there where it talks about how much God loves us like a father loves a child and looks with love on a child. My, my um, daughter, my, my oldest daughter, had a little baby a, a few years ago, about three years ago now, uh, four years I guess it was, and, and little Avena, um, 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 we went down to see her when she was born. And she was about 24 hours old, and we went in, it was a home birth, so we went in. Um, my daughter is, 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 is from, she was born in Worcester, but, but she's married a, a big Welshman. Matt is a great big hairy Welshman with a huge beard, you see. And so we went in and there's Kezia and she's holding this tiny little baby in her arms. The Venner is, is tiny, she's kind of in the nook of her arm there and uh, you know, she, she's about the size of a hedgehog. Actually, actually got spiky hair so she looks like a hedgehog. And, and Kezia's holding and she says to Matt, oh Matt, will you take, will you take a Venner? And she lifts up this little life. And I, oh, oh, can I? that'll be all right. And so he comes across with these great big hands and he takes this little girl and he holds her and uh, at that moment he looks down at her and I look at him looking at her and I think, poor bloke, he's had it. That's it, he's fallen in love and, and, and he will love her for the rest of his life. If you're a dad, you know that, don't you? If you've got a daughter, you know, and you want to be there when she speaks her first word, you want to be there when she stumbles, you want to lift her up. You may have that experience one day. And it's a bittersweet experience of walking her down the aisle and giving her to another man. That's not easy. I did that with both my daughters. One of my friends said, walking my daughter down the aisle and giving her to the arms of another man, it's like taking a priceless, antique, Stradivarius violin and putting it into the hands of a gorilla. It's not the, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Okay? You got the picture? Not that I would ever say that, but, you know... The love, the love that Matt had for that little girl in that moment is just a pale reflection of the love that God the Father has for you. It's an infinite love. It's a costly love. It's an amazing love. And when you trust God enough to step out and say, well, whatever you want for my life, Lord, however, I, I, it may not be what I'm thinking of at the moment, but whatever you want, Lord, I'm a living sacrifice. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Shall I tell you what? He gives you back more than you could possibly imagine because his will is perfect. And it may be costly. It may not be what you had planned. 
but his plans are best. The Lord gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. That's the first relationship, verses 1 and 2. How are we doing for time? Not very well, are we? I I wanted to concentrate on that anyway, because that's kind of the driver for everything else. When you come to verse 3, right the way down to verse 16, he talks about our relationships with one another. He talks about the church. And it falls into two parts. Verses 3 to 8 talks about humble service. Verses 9 to 16 talks about sincere love. What should mark us out in our relationships? Humble service and sincere love. Look at humble service in verse 3 down to verse 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You know, when it comes to the church, he's going to be speaking about spiritual gifts. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't be proud about your gifts. Don't be proud of what you're able to do because these are gifts. And the only way the church can operate properly is if you have a humble heart. Your gifts are needed, but your pride is not. Look at verse 4. For just as each of us has, uh, has one body with many members, and there are members do not have all the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, when you become a Christian, you are, you are joined into the church, and everybody belongs to one another. You know, you'll know that Paul develops the image of the body in other places, in 1 Corinthians in particular. You know, the, the finger cannot say, I don't matter, and I don't, I'm not important, and I want independence, I want to do my own thing. The heart can't do that. The, the, we're all part of it together. What does the Bible teach about spiritual gifts? Number one, every Christian has a spiritual gift. Okay? At least one spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a capacity for service given by God to every Christian without exception for the good of the body of Christ. You have a spiritual gift tonight. Do you know what your gift is? Think about that for a moment. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about what that gift was? Have you ever done a gift survey? Gifts are the things that the Lord gives us. Very often they're natural abilities that he takes and he touches by his spirit. One of the things that, 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 that I say about spiritual gifts is, do you enjoy doing it? If you don't enjoy doing it, then it's probably not a gift. I teach people to preach quite regularly. It's one of the things that I do uh, in my spare time. And, and I say to, to young men and women who are going to be preaching or teaching, do you enjoy preaching? And if they say, no, I say, well, don't do it. Because if you don't enjoy it, what chance has the congregation got to do it? Can I tell you something? I, 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 I just love preaching. Just like I've preached over, I must be in the region of 4,000 sermons now. My wife said if you were to put all my sermons end to end, they still wouldn't reach a conclusion, which is really mean, don't you think? <laughs> but I, that's, that's part of the reason I know that the Lord has called me into that ministry. What do other people say? Every Christian, without exception, has a gift. Number two, every gift is given by the Lord. Gifts aren't something that we achieved, they're gifts. You don't deserve them, it's a gift. What does that mean? Well, two things. Number one, you can't boast. You can't say, well, look at me, isn't this wonderful? But equally, you mustn't despise them. What I find more often than not, is not that Christians boast of their gifts, they despise their gifts. I can't do anything, my gifts are rubbish. I can't do this and I can't do... Listen to me, if God gave you a gift, it's precious, isn't it? It's precious. Every Christian has a gift, it comes from the Lord. And number three, the only way for you to reach maturity and for the church to reach maturity is if you use your gifts. 
I don't know what it's like here. One of the battles that I've had in all the churches I've ever served in is to encourage people to actually come forward and be involved in ministry. In most churches, if you've got a congregation of, say, 100, you'll find 25 people doing all the work. And 75, you know, like at a football match, standing on the side and cheering. Great, wonderful. Whereas actually the body of Christ needs you. I wonder if you recognise your gift. The church needs to be a community of grace where you can use a gift and if you fail, that's okay. It's not the end of the world. When my second daughter was about, I suppose she was about two, slightly over two, maybe three, one morning she decided she would make me and my wife a cup of tea in bed. Uh, It was in the summer, so the sun comes up at five o'clock, so at five o'clock in the morning, the door comes open and in she comes with this drink. She'd found the tea bag in the dustbin (laughs) where it it was nestling next to an old fish bone that we'd had in our supper the day. So so it's kind of a, 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 a used tea bag with kind of bones sticking out of it and she'd poured cold water and half a pint of milk, I guess. And so, and there's this thing, and, and, and my wife, who is he's a wonderful diplomat, said, oh, darling, this is so lovely. I'm not very thirsty, but I know Daddy is. You know, <laughs> oh, And what did I do? I'll tell you what I didn't do. I wouldn't say, this is rubbish. You know, if you're going to do, if you're going to make a cup of tea, then at least boil the water. You know, and at least find a tea bag that hasn't been in the innards of a, of a cod. You know, whatever you're doing, just, you know. No, I said, darling, thank you very much. Thank you. Well done. She makes a pretty good cup of tea now, actually, 25 years later. But the point is, when we use our gifts, what does the Lord look at? Not our brilliance, but just our love for Jesus. And it's okay to fail. You don't have to be perfect. Um, he, he makes a list of the gifts, and we're not going to go through those in detail. Just have a look at the list of gifts. Uh, he speaks in verse uh, 6 about prophesying about uh, faith, and that's not just normal faith, that's the people who have special gifts of faith. You can George Muller just down the road in Bristol, who the Lord gave the gift of faith, he could believe for great things. Um, serving, which is simply getting your hands dirty, helping other people. Teaching, encouraging, that's a really important gift, the gift of encouragement. One of my friends was doing a series on spiritual gifts and he'd finished at the last sermon and he said, now think about your gifts. He was on the door and this lady came to him on the door and she said, I've been praying very hard about my... I think the Lord has given me the gift of criticism. Okay, (laughs) which which is great, isn't it? He said, "Uh, Madam, I think many people in the church have that gift, but what you need to do is what the man did in the parable. Go and find a field, dig a hole and bury it. You know, because that's not what... It's encouragement. That's the spiritual gift. That's a great gift. When was the last time you encouraged your pastoral team here, your vicar and your ministers? When was the last time you did it? Encouraging. And giving and leading and showing mercy. That's just one list and and there are many lists. If you put them all together, there's something like 30 gifts mentioned in the New Testament. And it's not exhaustive. There are gifts that are used today that probably weren't there in the New Testament because there are new circumstances and new situations. Humble service. And then verse 9 down to verse 16, sincere love. Only, only when you're sincere in your love can you operate in that way. And, and what he does here is to give us a whole list of, of things uh, that we should do, things that should characterise us if we're, if we're a loving church. And we, we've run out of time so we can't go through them all, but uh, let me just give you a flavour. Verse 9, be honest. Be honest, be sincere, hate what is evil, 
cling to what is good. Love is not... Oh, right. Okay. Oh, that's better. Could you hear me before? Shall I start again? Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Please, no, no. If somebody, if somebody is, is sinning, it's not loving to say to them, well, that doesn't matter. Sometimes the loving thing is to, is to confront someone and to say, look, that's sinful. And to say it in love. And it has to be devoted. Look at verse 10. Be devoted to one another. Honour one another above yourselves. Don't be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. You see, how do I serve God? Partly anyway, by loving you. You My love for you is part of my service for the Lord. Be persevering, verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Keep going. You know, when my wife and I started in ministry, we had a very small congregation. And so what I used to do is to put the list of the names of all the people down one side and make two columns, and I, 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 I promised I would go and visit everyone in the congregation twice a year. Very small congregation. And so I'd go and I'd visit and put a tick, and as I got to know these folk, as the congregation began to grow, I used to put little notes next to the names just to make sure that I would remember who they were. And there were some people, and next to their names, I would put the letters G.G. And, and, and if you ask, well, what does that stand for, GG? It stands for a grace grower. Okay? And if they saw it, grace grower, you'd say, you're a grace grower. And they'd say, well, that's nice. What does that mean? And I would never tell them, because what it meant was they were so awkward, so difficult, so honorary, that actually you, you needed to be really gracious to love them. And, and you thank God for them, because through them, your grace was grown. Okay? Now, you don't have anyone like that in this church, do you? You have no one like that here, do you, Tim? No one at all. Straight away at this moment, you're all thinking, yeah, we do, you know. Because that's it. We're a body of Christians who are sinners saved by grace. You know, I often say, you know, when people say, I want the church, I'm looking for the perfect church. Well, look, you know your own sins. You know your own foibles. You know the things that are going on in your heart. And you put loads of people together, and the bigger the church becomes, you've got more difficulties in real life. You work hard at it. Persevere. Don't give up. Verse 13, be practical. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Be sympathetic. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You know, when someone in the church is in trouble, you're in trouble. When they're rejoicing, you rejoice. Be harmonious. Verse 16, be in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. There's a whole range of things. I mean, there's enough there for, for, for weeks of, of Bible study, aren't there? But to ask the Lord, what, what, do, what, what do I need to be? What kind of person do you want me to be? And when it comes to church, you are needed in the church. Not just your presence. All of those things. Okay, last thing, and then we're done. The last relationship he speaks about is our relationship with the world. And in particular, not so much evangelism, but what happens when the world turns against you. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not, uh, uh, do not curse. And then in verses 17 to the end, a whole series of commands. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Yet many of you university students today, you're not supposed to go back and, because you're a Christian, make life difficult for other people. 
Okay, just because you're a Christian, don't mean you say, "Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus, and so I, you know, I just want people to realise I'm, I'm one of the peculiar people." You know, we're supposed to do everything we can to live at peace with people around us. When you're at work in the office or in the in the factory, wherever it is, we're not supposed to go out of our way to make it difficult. We show God's love to people. How do we win people's hearts? Not by, you know, looking as if we've got a ramrod up our shirt. You know, these Christians, they're really, really hard people. That's how many people think of us. In these days when we follow the scriptures and we want to do what's right, it's quite easy for us to become hard and harsh. He says, don't be like that. Show people the grace and the love of God. And then this wonderful picture in in, in verse 19, don't take revenge. Leave it to God. It's mine to revenge, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't repay evil with evil. Show people the love of Christ. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil by good. How do we live this kind of life? Only through the grace of God and only through the fellowship of the local church. I, I, I like to do children's talks. We have a kids' talk most Sundays when we're, we're, we're down at Wickham in the morning. And uh, I, I, I kind of pride myself that I'm, I'm okay at kids' talks. And occasionally I, I have a talk in my mind and I'm not too sure. And so I, I check it out with my wife and I say, what do you think, darling? Do you think that's a good one? And most of the time she yeah, that'll work. And sometimes she said, no, 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 no. That's not a good idea. I'd got this brilliant talk, brilliant idea with the kids. What, what I was going to do was, you know, you, you bring out a box and say, what's in the box? And the kids say, oh, and I have a guess. And then I was going to open the box. And inside, I was going to have a huge chopper. Okay, and then I was going to say to the kids, who would like me to chop off the little finger on my left hand? You see, and the point was, you know, the little finger has to be attached to the hand. You chop it off, you're in trouble. And, so, yeah. and, I, and then and I said, what do you think, darling? And she said, are you mad? Are you totally insane? Have you lost it? Don't you realise that, that half the kids will be traumatised? They'll never ever want to go near church again. You'll have letters from their parents. And the other half will just be so disappointed that you didn't follow it through. Now what on earth is he playing at when he offers church for the very first time to be exciting and he doesn't do it, you know? And so I never did it. But, but if I had, I think that would have been a pretty good talk, don't you? The kids would have remembered it, okay. And here's the point. If I chop off my little finger, my hand hurts. My body hurts. I miss it. My body is disfigured. But after a while, I just get used to it. My body is, is damaged, but, but yeah, it's damaged. But the body will continue to function. But what will happen to the little finger? It's dead. It's gone. It's lifeless. You know, I can stick it in the deep freeze and bring it out occasionally for children's talks, but, but you know, <laughs> that's about it. That's about it. I mean, the dog might be interested, but that's about it. That's the end of it. When it comes to the church, and that's the key thing, present your bodies a living sacrifice, that's the beginning, and, and, and show the world that you're different, you're like Jesus, that's the end. In the middle of that whole long section about the church, because what Paul has grasped, but we need to grasp, is we cannot be, we cannot be a Christian outside that intimate fellowship in the local church. Cut off the finger and the church will suffer, but the finger will shiver and die. 
We need the Lord's people. And the only way you can be the Lord's people is if you do the kind of things that Paul says there. And you think, well, that's impossible. Shall I tell you something? Christian life is not difficult. It's not difficult. It's impossible. It is impossible. How do you love people like that? But here's the point. God gives you all the resources you need. God the Father loves you. God the Son died for you. God the Spirit lives in you. And his purpose is to bind us together in love that will never be broken. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you so much tonight for your just stunning grace, your grace in Jesus that has transformed us completely. Lord, we thank you for not just saving us so that we know you, but saving us and bringing us into a church. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the way in which this church functions and flourishes as a healthy body of Christ. Lord, help it to continue to do so. Be with its leaders, be with its members, be with every person gathered here. And may this church, as imperfect as it is, because it's made up of imperfect people, may it be a church that Jesus delights in and delights to bless. Lord, we want to pray tonight that you would bless this fellowship with many, many new converts, many, many new believers coming into this family so that it may grow for your honour and glory. Thank you for your word and thank you for your spirit who makes it live. Amen.